0: Hello and welcome back to what is the final episode of our first season of multi-stories. Whoa! I'm Tom.
1: I'm Rosa. And today, as it is sadly the last episode, we have a very special guest who is also our producer in this week's show, which is the wonderful Oriana Buckland. Oh, hello. Ooh, hi, Ori. Thank you. <laughs> Ori is here yeah. to read us a piece of her own original writing. Yeah. Oriana, could you tell us a little bit about yourself as a writer? Ooh, okay. Um, I am
2: um, myself as a writer. Uh, I would not call myself a writer with a lot of confidence, um, but I oh. like trying to do writing. <laughs> no, okay. Um, I started writing because I wanted to write stuff for myself because I want to be acting, Um, And sometimes it's difficult to be acting. Um, (laughs) So I've done a couple of things that I've kept very much to myself. But then a couple of more like one-woman show kind of things I've done with actually the same theatre company, Yellow Coat Theatre Company, who are a very exciting um, company, female-led, and they're just really great and really nice and have been really encouraging to me, which has been super
1: helpful. Uh, Yeah. Awesome.
0: Fabulous. Um and then can you tell us a little bit more about this particular piece, the one we're going to be listening to today?
2: Yes. So, um this piece is called Confession of a Sex Addict, which is a name I might change. I feel like it's a little <laughs> bit <laughs> like um I don't know it's like the Sun newspaper or something. It's a bit like <laughs> attention seeking. Um
1: nothing wrong with that. But of yeah, attention. I mean
2: it is about a sex addict. Um, And she is a very high-achieving corporate banker. Um, And it kind of is about a a sort of series of events that leads to her kind of having a bit of a breakdown and realising that um, she's not just having loads of great sex, she's
1: actually actually a sex addict. And um, yeah, that's what it's about. Very nice, thank you. And you're also going to be performing this piece for us as well yes i am amazing. thank you very much so we've got a recording <laughs> um which was done as part of the yellow coat theatres um is it called pass it on yes pass it on series yeah amazing which happened over lockdown so yeah let's have a listen okay um
2: I guess, if I had to answer to define my problem, I'd say, I am a functioning sex addict. Which isn't really a phrase that's said very much, or ever, as far as I'm aware, but it really should be because it is 100% a thing. And no, you perverts, I'm not just going to sit here listing all my devilish escapades as much as I know you want me to. As much as I would like to. Actually, I stand corrected. I am not a functioning sex addict. I am a non-functioning sex addict, which just makes me a sex addict, which feels... Hmm horrible. I was a functioning sex addict, that's how I made it through uni, a masters, half of a PhD, that was the beginning of the non-functioning part, and five years of a job that pays for me to be here with you charming bunch of narcotics in this... well, it's essentially a spa, isn't it? I used to argue that you couldn't have sex for the wrong reasons. Sex is, sex is, sex is always a good thing. Unless it's bad sex, but you can get over that by having good sex. Unless it's rape, but then it isn't sex. That's very important, and I have to say it, because really, some people don't know the difference. Sorry, I didn't mean to stare you down when I said that. Actually, if you want to grab a drink after. I'm joking. You can't drink at a spa. Sorry, I don't know why I'm... This is group therapy, not a TED talk, which is something I'm more used to. Not trying to show off, just being honest. So where was I? (laughs) Ah, yes. Non-functioning sex addict, leading to semi-functioning alcoholic. Though I am proud to say I stayed clear of the drugs, apart from a bit of coke on a Friday night. But when you're an artist or in finance, and I personally think I managed a combination of the two, it's not really a big deal. And it stayed like that for me. I have two vices, sex and alcohol. And I drink a lot of coffee, but that's not a vice. You know, those women and men actually, who sit around a table in a cafe when their kids are at school and say coffee is my vice when they order a latte with a double shot. (laughs) That is not me, that is ridiculous. And anyway, I think any stay-at-home parent is probably an alcoholic. I know my sister is and she's still functioning, just about. But she's got kids, so her family don't expect her to come to a nice spa, like me. Our family. Perhaps it would be helpful for me to think a little bit about when all this started. I mean, I was a virgin until I was 19, which always surprises people. I say people, but I don't talk to people about my sex addiction. I talk to my friends. Yes, I do have a few friends, but they're all quite headstrong, go get the fucking boss fired for being a pervert. I will be CEO before I'm 30, but also pretend this job is not dominated by a bunch of chauvinists, unemotional, I am not cold, I am honest kinds of women. So when we talk about my sex addiction, we always have a good laugh. They say things like, Lottie, you lost your virginity when you were 19. Weren't you bonking every Friday at the lower school disco that the boys got invited to? And I say, no. I went to a state school where we saw boys every day and they were not exciting. In fact, they were horrible. And then we have another good laugh about how the fuck I managed to get into this job when my 10 GCSEs are from the local comp. They don't like to admit that I have a problem because then they'd have to admit that they have several. They called yesterday. Lottie, darling, how's the spa? So... I told them what fun we were all having and how lovely you all are. Yeah, so school was not fun. Boys were not fun. The best thing about school was chemistry with Mrs Lint, like the chocolate, who was gorgeous and had me thinking I was a lesbian until I was 17, but I'm not going into that right now. And then my best friend, Emma. Emma was an anomaly, someone who everyone liked and was popular without being in the popular group and somehow managed to get invited to all the parties whilst being friends with me, which was impressive. It's not that I was bullied, I was just... ignored, mostly. Once the boys in our tutor group were rating the girls before school, I was first labelled a 7, which I was quite pleasantly surprised by, but then Ben Fishface Robinson announced that Emma is an 8, so Lottie is probably, and then they all agreed I was more of a 5.5. And degree pass rate is 40%, so it's not too bad. But you can imagine it wasn't a great thing for my already crippling anxiety and deep insecurity that I was completely unfuckable. It's amazing how early that feeling kicks in of being unfuckable or rather your level of fuckability, because as a woman, I've learned that I am fuckable by default, but there are different levels on the scale, which is confusing, because you don't want to be fuckable by default, but since you are, you want to be high up on the ladder, but if you can't be, it's a massive fucking double whammy of shit. So yeah. I had a feeling of being low on the ladder when I was about six. Obviously, I didn't know what it was about at the time. I just knew that the boys didn't really care about what was in my lunchbox. And I wasn't much of a target in Kiss Chase. At all. Anyway, it would be insensitive for me to talk for too long. I mean, I know that's the point, but you've all got shit to stuff to say. So I will cut to the first big thing that confirmed my position as an emotional cripple. I lost Emma when I was 14. She'd started getting really thin about the year before and at the beginning of year 10, she didn't come back in. We'd been on the phone all summer. She always spent it in France with her family because of course she was half French. And I was invited, but my parents didn't like her parents so they never let me go with her. Fucking classic, they fuck you up, your mum and dad. If they just let me go. Emma and I might have had very different journeys. Anyway, because they didn't get on, our parents never discussed anything in the interests of their children, and I was expecting to see Emma in school on Monday. So when she wasn't there, I was worried. I called her mum. Emma was in hospital. She'd got too thin. She'd almost killed herself with it. I went to visit her and I couldn't bear it. If Emma wasn't happy, Emma, my perfect friend, my hope, my happiness, then how the fuck could anyone else ever be happy? She said to me, I'm sad, Lottie. It completely broke my heart. I said I'd go visit her every week. Well, I didn't, and I didn't call her. She didn't call me. I haven't seen her since. I know she's alive and she's a creative person and does charity work, basically the opposite to me, but not much more than that. See, that's when it would have been nice for our parents to make something happen because I think at that age, it was bigger than either of us could handle. It's been 17 years since I saw her in the hospital and I think about her every day. I miss her. I dream about her. School went from being horrible to pretty much unbearable, so I did the classic, put everything into my work. I'd always done, like, a bit above average at school. I was someone who understood what the teacher was talking about when they explained the end terms for the first time or the significance of music in Shakespeare and its relation to the spheres. So when I started working really fucking hard, my grades went through the roof. That is a privilege that I am grateful for and what has possibly kept me alive. So I'm not trying to show off when I say I am extremely fucking bright. I'm just being honest. The thing is that being bright and having good grades is equated with being successful and being happy. And that is a fundamental error to the whole way our society functions, or in some ways doesn't function. I know, that's simplistic and I'd love to have a big discussion about it with you all over our communal dinner, but right now I'm talking about my problems. I lost Emma. I gained incredible academic opportunities and yeah, I went to Oxford. Now, at 18, starting university, I had the shock of my life. My level on the fuckability ladder went from down here to a right the fuck up here. It shook my whole world, my identity, everything. There were opportunities everywhere. In short, I became prolific. Yes, of course, there was slap shaming. But this was also at, I think, the beginning of the reclaiming of the word slut and what that meant, if it should be allowed to mean anything. And I felt powerful. I could have pretty much anyone. And I could make people feel as small as I felt, if I wanted. I never did that, by the way. I somehow nailed this combination of making my way through a whole group of friends in a month, sometimes at the same time, whilst being really fucking nice to everyone and getting first in everything. It was dizzying. And I was killing myself. I got a place on a grad scheme at an extremely high-powered banking firm, and on this particular scheme, I was the only woman. I could have gone somewhere else, somewhere less male, but I didn't fucking want to. There's no group I feel more comfortable with than average looking men. I played it safe that first year, no one at work, only strangers. But then I became a permanent hire and when there are only 12 women in an office of 100, that's a lot of material to work with. I reckon I covered a good 45% of it and not just the under 50 group. Yeah, there are a lot of regrets there. Am I degrading myself? See, I don't think I am. I'm just being honest. At first I kept things under wraps. Each rendezvous was our little secret. But boys will be boys, and it was only a matter of time before my reputation came into fruition. Seemed fine for a bit, and it wasn't like the whole office knew. Among my little group, it was a sort of joke that I thought I was okay with. But then it all came to a head at the Christmas party last year. Four of the guys, who I'd had a particularly good time with, They'd been on my grad scheme and we were friends. Kind of. They hatched a plan to humiliate me. Give me a taste of my own medicine, as one of them called it. I disagree. Because my medicine was pretty nice as far as I was concerned. And this was really, really not. So I'd developed a, I guess, a kink. I buy two of every pair of pants. Yes, this is relevant. Lest my favourites should be destroyed in some ghastly period situation. And I'm on, was on, a six-figure salary. So fuck it, why not? Anyway, I'd got into the habit of leaving a pair behind after each conquest as a sort of souvenir yes it's a bit cat pissing on their territory and i guess it was some weird power thing but whatever maybe i got too cocky this tradition was interrupted somewhat by my sleeping with a particular colleague bobby more than once which is really not my style one night stands only two at a push but he was actually quite sweet, and he didn't have the easy arrogance of most of the other men that I worked with. I also found myself not acting when we were in bed, and I did not realise how extraordinary that was until it happened. So, this sounds like the beginning of a happy ending. But I must now assure you that it really, really is not. The Christmas party. I'd arranged to meet Bobby in one of the meeting rooms at 10pm. He said he'd never done it at work before and wanted to try it. This would be our fifth time, which for me was about as close to a relationship as things could get. Was I developing real feelings? Surely no. At five past ten, it's amazing how far you can get in five minutes, Jake, Rob and Alistair burst through the door, phones out for a photo shoot. We stopped, of course. Twats is all I thought. But then Bobby, with genuine shock and indignation, said to them, his friends, wait, that wasn't part of the plan. The plan. Oh dear. Blocking the door as I redressed and covering their eyes in some ridiculous and pointed charade, the boys explained they had a present for me. Well, they sent me back to the party for my present. It took me a while to notice my pants hung up alongside the various Christmas decorations all around the room, with a little label with my name attached to each. Ten pairs. A silent, semi-anonymous message of hate. Extraordinarily, apart from the people who were in on it, and at that moment I felt it must be everyone, no one seemed to notice until I started rather inconspicuously ripping them down. To be honest, the fact that they were there with my name on them didn't really matter to anyone else, like Ellen, our chief, my boss, a woman I hugely admire. It was a cruel and anonymous trick played out by a jealous colleague, nothing more. So it wasn't that that got me fired. Nor was it the photos of me in the meeting room with Bobby, As far as I'm aware, they were meant as more of a gesture than something to be shared around. I think they were either deleted or kept in some private wank bank. It was that, as I stumbled to the door, pants in hand, Bobby ran after me, all rambling, flustered, upset. I didn't realise they were going to take it so far. I really like you, Lottie. So I picked up the nearest glass and I smashed it in his face. That's what caught the attention of Ellen and everyone else. To be fair, I'd been losing my composure a little bit prior to that on more than one occasion I got too drunk at a work party and leapt onto the nearest table shouting money isn't real, subsequently falling on the floor. So it was a combination of that and the physical assault on my colleague that sent me on my way. Of course I couldn't explain. Ellen was like the kind of mum who is completely perfect but you would never discuss sex with and I know that seems Well, the whole thing is fucked, but I had to get out of there anyway. I'm not saying it was that job that made all of that happen. If it weren't for that job, I'd probably be evicted by now, getting drunk and prostituting myself under a bush on Hampstead Heath, never able to find the help that I need. And that is what happens to a lot of people. They will never have the life or the care that they deserve. Why am I like this? Some deep insecurity, surely, yes. But where does it come from? What has been so terrible in my life to justify my inner ugliness? I don't know. All I know is that if I keep drinking, fucking, hardly sleeping, I will be ugly everywhere and I won't know who I am. I feel like my body is all I have. Sorry, I've lost I've lost where I was going, with that. Um, I think I better. I'll leave it there. Thank you for indulging me.
0: Woo! Woo! Thank you very much. Woo woo woo! That was great. Excellent. Thanks, very.
1: Love that. Thank way. you so how, very much. Guys. Oh, no worries. So, so how was it for you to perform this as part of the pass it on series? I know you did it during lockdown, you did it at home. Oh, yeah. Um and obviously it's your own piece of writing. So how did that feel for you? Yeah,
2: it was really interesting. I had a good time. I did find it very stressful. Um, I feel like I've been sort of on my I mean not completely on my own, I mean have a housemate but um which who is great um (laughs) I don't know why I'm talking about this okay we were in (laughs) lockdown so obviously um
1: yeah everybody was feeling quite isolated
2: yeah quite isolated not doing the work we want to be doing Mm -hmm. like I hadn't really acted for anything vaguely seriously for quite a long time Mm. um and um I was very excited that the piece was chosen. That made me very happy. Although actually when I sent it in, I hadn't finished it yet. So I didn't have the finale. I'd sent it like basically leading up to um, this awful thing being about to happen, but I had no idea what the awful thing was. (laughs) So I was like, oh my God, I've got to think of like a really intense ending. Um, So I was a bit worried that I was gonna write the ending and send it and they'd be like, this is fucking weird. What (laughs) are you doing? Um, Which actually kind of did happen. I sent a very, very, very long version to um, my director, who was absolutely amazing, called Lauren Lambert Moore. Um, She was just well I'll tell you more about her in a minute but yeah she was yeah. so she was so cool and I sent her a version which I basically like doubled the size and then I was like do you think any of this is a bit crazy and she was kind of like i mean yeah maybe like you don't need like that weird letter <laughs> that happened and i like then so then i cut it down and like she was super helpful just like helping me realize what was too much but anyway yeah so yeah. so I finished writing it and yeah just having somebody there to listen who I really felt was on my side and like wanted to be working on it with me um, was just really amazing because I think sometimes you write something and you can feel very on your own and mm. um, yeah that was just really helpful and then we were meant to perform at the space um which is where it was streamed from but obviously um, another lockdown happened so that ended up being we film it ourselves like in our bedrooms um which was uh, interesting because i did get very obsessive like i probably did about 30 different versions the oh, final yeah. one i used was like the third one
1: <laughs> so- <laughs> i feel always like that's way. always the way yeah yeah yeah, because <laughs> you I start getting being, really in your own head and being like, I'm going to yeah. make this really interesting choice and then you look back at it yeah. later you're like, what was I doing? Yeah,
2: ex- exactly. And then I did one version which was like a practice version like really late at night, it was dark, I was in my pyjamas I was, like, ready, like, a- in a bit of a mess. And I was, like, oh, my God, that's it. That's the best version.
3: And then, But it
2: was just, like, awfully lit and everything. And then I sent it to Lauren. And I was, like, I can't use this, can I? And she was, like, no. And I was, like, <laughs> I like okay, it. cool, cool. But then I kept being, like, that was the version, though. And I kept trying to repeat. It was really silly. Anyway, then I ended up using the third version. And actually, like, I was quite happy with that in the end. Mm. I think. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. weird. Until until it, like, was, was streamed, I was... Like, I just decided I hated it. I didn't even... I didn't really invite anyone. I didn't invite
1: you guys. <laughs> so you, no, you did You can hear it. Um, But it's but hard. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's easy to be self-critical, especially when you can see the video of yourself in front of you. Yeah. So mm-hmm. nice to have yeah. somebody there to be like, shall I use this? Definitely. No? Yes? Yeah. You know. yeah. It's really personal. No, Lauren was so yeah. good. Yeah. She was yeah. just... Had just great ideas. Like, I felt
2: like she really understood what I wanted to do with it. And she just yeah she was so she was so helpful Mm. um it was amazing and that yeah then in the end it was quite satisfying really because also it's just nice to have something like that to do
1: um Mm.
0: oh yeah yeah something to be proactive with yeah and and nice to have an outside outside eye to help you kind of yeah completely i think if i
2: was doing it by myself i don't know i don't know i don't know know what would have happened (laughs) yeah (laughs) we would have got ori's gone crazy lost your mind yeah yeah. i would have (laughs) gone crazy i probably would have
0: gone crazy (laughs) <laughs> start scrolling on the walls yeah
2: I am crazy <laughs>
0: <laughs> um we yeah we'd love to yeah hear a bit more about the piece so where did the idea come from what was the inspiration for the piece yes.
2: okay I think I've been thinking quite a lot about well I kind of been obsessing over actually the way um we all think about objectification I mean we're all we all have an experience of objectification, like being objectified, seeing objectification. If that's like being objectified in a way that's like, you're ugly, you look terrible. And then the opposite, like, oh my God, nice tits, like that kind of thing. But mm. Tom, I'm sure you get that a lot. I do that all the time, do, uh, all, the time. <laughs> yeah. all the time. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, I was thinking a lot about that. And especially um, for women, like the like weird relationship with Objectification of like, just I guess like maybe becoming so used to it that like in some ways, it can define you. And I Mm. think this character kind of came from that because, uh, lot yeah, Lottie. She um, she was always so aware of how people judged her aesthetically and if it was like from being um like a child at school like just believing that she's ugly mm. um just like not ever really questioning that like just yeah believing she was quite ugly to then like getting older and then being like fi- discovering that she's fuckable that's like how she described it mm. um and sort of then becoming a bit addicted to that and then thinking that um, she's actually being empowered by that and then starts, like, using it to her advantage and, is like, I can use people however the fuck I want. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, just, like, getting a bit carried away with that um, and not nece- and, and also presenting as somebody who is very in control um, and, like, does do very, very well in life. I mean, yeah. has a job where she makes a lot of money, like... Mm. Goes to a very good university, um, but is just very. I don't know, like, has a very like small part inside herself that that needs validation. I think the power, and validation gets a bit confused, and I think that is
1: an interesting place. That's what I wanted mm. to explore. Yeah, mm. definitely. Well, I think there is a very. I don't know how I'm able to explain this one at all, but there's a really interesting and slightly dangerous brand of female empowerment this kind of whole like girl boss you're in charge you do what you want but actually the choices are still kind of dictated by heteronormativity and capitalism and it's this kind of you're empowered within these very strict confines that is that is exactly that is exactly what i was trying to say in a way yeah I guess, yeah, and she's
2: trying to take all of that and mm. her experience and instead of like letting it affect her and feeling like all she is is how she is viewed mm. by the patriarchal society. Mm. Um, she is like, I'm going to use that to my advantage. Yeah. Mm. But um, it's still all mixed up in mm. how she feels about herself because of how she's been told to feel about herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and so I think it is confusing. And maybe sometimes she is really empowered and she's like, yeah, I'm having great sex. And it's mm-hmm. like, and and that's like totally cool. But sometimes it's about something else. Yeah. And then also mm-hmm. what happens eventually, she's basically like slept with so many people uh, in her work. I think the backstory, she doesn't say this outright, but she's like convinced them not to tell anyone. And then eventually they all find out. And then this like group mm-hmm. of men, like form this plan to humiliate her. Um I feel like in that moment, like I was kind of judging her a bit because I was like, well, you've been kind of a dick to all these people. Like, mm. do you, I don't know, i would be interesting to know if people are kind of like, yeah. She's,
0: yeah. She's, That's interesting to see how you over. might, yeah. Yeah, I, I emphasize yeah. with your own character and kind of what yeah. you- Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Because it's know, almost which like-
0: Which side you fall on, yeah.
1: It's kind of this strange thing of an empowered woman in some ways being viewed as like, as more masculine. It's like she has the same choices that men has. She can sleep with whoever she wants because she's an empowered woman, when really we're just saying she can do things that we associate with masculinity. But at the same time, in society, we're never gonna see her as a man. She's never actually gonna have the same privilege to sleep with whoever she wants with no judgment. So when it actually comes down to it, it's are you empowered? Are we actually just gonna call you names? Is this something that's freeing and helpful for you or is it actually just gonna put you in this horrible little box? Yeah. And then, exactly. yeah, then she yeah. has
0: this internal struggle, which makes her, you know, yeah. incredibly interesting as a character yeah. to interrogate yeah. that. Yeah, 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 I think yeah. in
2: the end, because how it's set up, she is talking to other people in rehab and, and like she is very vulnerable. And then she, yeah, at the end, I think she gets very upset and like sh- shows those feelings to people, probably for the first time, because, yeah, she's got used to operating in a way where she doesn't show that she's a vulnerable person. Mm. Um,
1: and, and, yeah, she's like, why am I like this? So, yeah, so um, do you have any more plans for the piece? Do you have any more plans for the character? Is she going to appear anywhere else? Oh Well, I would
2: like to make it into a longer show, I think. Um, because I, yeah, I'm quite attached to her. Mm. I like playing her also. I've, she's very, very different to me. Mm. Um, which was helpful talking about this kind of subject because I didn't want people to be like, oh my God, is this your life story?
1: Disclaimer, um, I am not a sex yeah. addict. I'm not a sex addict, or am
2: I? No, I'm just <laughs> joking. Um, um, so yeah, but I ha- yeah, I've become quite touched show. I think I would like to make it into a longer show. And I do think the subject's really interesting. And as we've like just talked about, there's so many complex layers to sex addiction and different kinds of sex addiction and mm. and yeah the relation people's relationship with sex i mean yeah it's complicated and vulnerable and stressful and fun yeah so yeah there's a lot to think about i would like to make it into a longer show and do it in a small theater like a studio theater nice. and uh, just talk to the people around yeah me, basically love it very cool sounds yeah. great yeah can't wait to see that i know me too Thanks. Yeah, I keep changing my mind about what I want to do, like, then I'm like, oh, maybe there should be other characters, like, maybe this isn't a one-woman show, or, like... Yeah, yeah I keep changing my mind.
0: You can experiment, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, hopefully I'll come up with something. Well, when you figure write. it out, let us yeah. know about this one, so yeah. we can yeah. go and see it. Yeah. <laughs> I will. <laughs> um, well,
0: and then for, for... you know you've talked a bit about it already, uh, and why you got into writing, but how, how did you find yourself, you know, getting into writing? Is there a point where you're like, oh, yeah, this is when i sat down and would yeah. want to write some things like i think uh, quite
2: slowly like i always really really admired people um who yeah um, like admired writers and i was seeing a lot of um actors writing for themselves and i just was like how can you do that um yeah i didn't understand how how you could how you could write but i was like that's kind of cool i'd like to try it and then actually um the first time I wrote anything that i shared with anyone was when we were at oxford
1: i remember um, this oxford school of drama uh, yes. not
2: the oxford university everybody um yeah always i think it's because we had to do yeah yeah always do <laughs> um uh yeah i we were doing it was like a monologue i think it was like accent class or something yeah and i found a monologue i really liked but i think it didn't quite work so like, the character was obviously a lot older than me or something so i was like I kind of like the feeling of this. I'm going to like write my own version, but I decided not to tell anybody. Cause mm. then I was like, that's the best way to know
1: if it's weird or not. <laughs> to be like at the end, say oh, guys it's what do you weird, think of my It's monologue? fine if it's weird,
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, so, that was, um, so that was kind of like accidental in a way. And then I was like, yeah. do you know what? That was really satisfying.
0: Mm. Yeah, and it was really the, great. It was just so
2: good. Is that the first thing you wrote Ori? That's so nice. That's so nice. <laughs> is that actually um, the first piece of writing you've done? I, I think, think so. Oh my god. Other than, you know, like creative writing yeah, yeah. at school. Yeah. Um I yeah, I really enjoyed it. And then I wanted to try a bit more. And then um realized, yeah, writing for yourself, I think is easier. Mm-hmm. Um also, yeah, you know, you know the words you want to say. I feel like if I write something and I don't want to say the words I'm like "Mm, maybe it's maybe it's not good um and even if the character is very different for me and I'd be writing something like for someone that I would never play Mm. um I think I've got to feel that I would still like I know that those words would be good to say as an actor or like feel
1: yeah
2: natural in some way um Yeah, I think writing for more than one person um, is a whole other challenge. Like I I wanna get better at that. I would Mm -hmm. love to write for other people more. Um, I guess also when writing for yourself, you can like take responsibility for it. You're not like, okay, you have to make this good. Like it's in a way less pressure
1: because if it falls flat, you're the only person who has messed up. So you think your experience of acting is that mainly influencing then the language that you use, the kind of structure, or does it come into other elements of your writing? Um, yeah, I think so. I think it definitely helps me judge it.
2: Mm. Like I will always try speaking it. And if speaking it makes it feel better, then I think it helps me trust it. Like mm. I, when I wrote this one, um this is why I say I'm lazy I'm a bit lazy because I find it really difficult to like have an idea about something and then like structure it and then sit and write it and like work on it this one I just wrote very quickly I didn't Mm. think I was just like I'm just gonna let it all come out Mm. and um and I think I'm struggling to make it into a bigger piece because I'm like okay I need to structure it like it needs to go here it needs to go there
0: Mm. it's interesting because it feels like some actors might it sounds like you put words on the page first and then you'll hear it out loud because I feel like some actors maybe when they write maybe yeah. particularly for the kind of monologues might might try and improvise something Improv, yeah. and mm. then mm. record that and then take bits of what they like and then put that down on page so
2: yeah that's true I think I think a lot about stuff before mm. I write it mm. I like walk around like whispering it <laughs> like um,
0: I in the street, really yeah, looking, yeah, looking yeah really Or, like, in my house,
2: start crying for no reason. <laughs> yeah. um, I like yes, which I can't I'm do when, when I down. actually have to cry, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, but oh, It's a lot easier yeah. when you're in your own house.
2: Yeah,
1: <laughs> yes, true. Oh, my God, I was going to say something, and I felt like it was good, but probably wasn't. <laughs> no, I want to know, I bet it was. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was just... Because you were saying something about being lazy, but I don't know if it's, net, like, being lazy not being able to kind of sit and formulate and structure things because that's actually a really difficult thing to do with something that's so kind of not structured as Mm. speech and thought patterns and maybe actually you helped yourself by sending that piece in before it was finished and giving yourself that deadline and that kind of adrenaline maybe you just need to Go yeah. to a theatre and say I'm putting on my <laughs> one woman show. It's going to be an hour, oh my and god. then I'll give it to you in <laughs> <a> two <laughs> weeks. Figure there it, it out. That's a nice yeah. way <laughs> of looking at it.
2: Yeah, it's true. I mean, having a deadline, you yeah, you do just have to you do just have to make something, don't you? Um, mm. yeah. And and never I'm really bad at product. setting my own deadlines.
1: Yeah. Oh god, same. Because yeah, I'll be like, oh, I'll get this done in a week, but I know that actually I don't have to, so I don't do it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, setting my own deadlines, I'm so so bad at.
1: Mm. Um, yeah Ah, we're creative (laughs) yeah we're artists exactly (laughs) (laughs) we (laughs) don't conform to the norms of time (laughs) well a huge thank you to Oriana for letting us share her work with you all if you've enjoyed what you've heard then please do check her out at at Oriana Buckland on Twitter and Instagram yeah probably more Twitter than Instagram but not that I'm very active on on Twitter, Twitter. but more so
2: on.
0: Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> um, and of cool. course, feel free to give our own social media f- channels a follow if you want to keep up to date with all the things going on at Multi Story Productions. Uh, we are, of course, at Multi Prod on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and this is a yeah, a kind of final shout out uh, on the final episode of this first season. So if you're sat at home listening along and think you'd like to hear your own writing on on the second season of multi-stories um, all your music um, then please do get in touch with us um, at submissions at uk. and thank you again for listening
1: and this week we are finishing with music from another member of multi-story Chester Kane with his new song Little One you can follow Chester on Instagram on at C
0: underscore Kane. Thank you very much. Thanks. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye, Bye
1: guys. Bye. Thank Bye. you back. for listening. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Miss you. Miss you. Bye. Thanks see for you next
0: season.
1: season. Oh, I like next that. Season, see you next season. See you next season. See you cats on the flip-flop later.
3: Get some more day I'm barely breathing I hear them coming home Can I get some more Can I guess am more I'm barely breathing, I hear them coming home Can I guess some more of that, I'm hardly sleeping, I'd give it all to be alone And you know it's not the right thing to do, well you know got nothing to lose and I'm bleeding.